Welcome everyone to the gaming couch. Be it video games, card games, or board games, we'll have a good time playing. So come and join me on the couch. This is your host, Smart Boy. Alright, ladies and gentlemen, I am very excited. Let's get into talking about the future. So, the Long Island Retro Gaming Expo and NYC Plays both happened this past weekend, August 11th and 12th. I went to both of them. And now sitting beside my computer while I record is a slew of business cards and other sorts of flyers for all these awesome games that I had a chance to kind of check out and play demos of. And one of them actually is currently released, and I'll let you know which one as we talk. Anyway, we've been spending our time, you know, every other episode just talking about various games, talking about the past, stuff we enjoyed, all that good stuff, you know, all very important stuff. However, let's look at the future just for a minute because, like I said, these games are amazing. And if you have never had a chance to go to any convention or anything like that, do so. A lot of these conventions like NYC Plays, Gen Con, a bunch of these other conventions, a lot of times you'll find people that haven't release their game yet they're actually looking for people to test it and they have functioning demos and betas and betas and stuff like that that you can just sit down play right then and there talk with like the developers and all those sorts of things and it's just so amazing and then you just you, you get a jump on it actually one of the games which is one of my favorite games i was talking to the dev so long and he's like yeah there's a raffle going on for the beta coming up and everything so definitely sign up, and obviously I did, and he's like, oh, also we got a Discord, so definitely join that, and I was like, damn, okay, now I really need to get the beta so I can keep playing. He's like, well, you know, you message me, maybe I'll just help you out a little bit. So, like, you get that connection with people. It's it's amazing. So, let me, let me stop fanboarding for a moment, collect myself, and just get into everything that I looked at over this short, short weekend. So I'll start with Saturday, which was the Long Island Expo that I went to. Now, first half of it, I spent just kind of looking around because it was a retro gaming expo. So there were so many vendors of just like SNES, Sega Genesis, NES. Hell, I found Atari 2600 on sale for 50 bucks there, and I would have picked it up. But one, not exactly sure how I'm going to hook it up to my TV. Could have figured that out. But two, was trying to get it home because I live in Brooklyn. I was out in Long Island at a friend's place. And then I would have taken the train back. It's, ugh, it was messy. So I wouldn't really be able to make that work. So sadly, I passed out on it. However, having that bit of issue would have been awesome. Anyway, besides vendors and spending so much money that I'm willing to admit, I ended up having a chance to play Pathfinder. Now, Pathfinder I've played before. It's amazing. I love it if you never played it. Essentially, think of like D&D, mostly like 3.5, but with some like a few modifications and a few more things available, like an alchemist class, stuff like that. It's really awesome. And that's all first edition. Well, now they decided to do a second edition. And I had an opportunity to kind of do like a little beta test of second edition and some of the changes they've made. Now, before going any further, I'm going, I have like a million tabs open. I'm going to see if I can dig up because I heard they have the PDF online for people to download and actually like use and mess around with and read. I want to see if I can dig that up. And if I can, I will most definitely put a link in the episode description so you can check it out also if you are interested. However, it is like, it is beta. There's a lot of things that'll probably change because they're expecting, if I remember correctly, like it's going to be almost a year before they give like a full official release. Or at least, like, you know, a good amount of months before they do an official release. 
So things will definitely change. Anyway, the stuff I saw, I spent five hours playing it because anyone who's played a tabletop you know, RPG like D&D before knows that an adventure can take a long time. And we had seven of us, so there's a lot of discussion going on, and it took a while to kind of get into things just because of, you know, the discussion and stuff like that. It wasn't bad. Now, things that were positives. Oh, my goodness. So a lot of times when you play these RPGs, usually you're given two actions. And most of the time it's like a mandatory move action and then whatever else you want to do. And sometimes like there's bonus actions and other things you can kind of play around with class specific wise and that's really it so you're almost limited in combat because you're allowed to just like swing once unless you're a high level warrior or something that gives you that second swing so what pathfinder second did they said here's three actions first off instead of two there's three actions that everyone gets and those three actions you can do whatever the hell you want to do with it you can in combat move your speed three times you can swing three times and each consecutive swing has a penalty so it's Hard to hit, obviously. You can take stuff out of your pouches, do this, do that, cast spells. It Unless an ability or something says otherwise, that it's limited once per turn or whatever, it does not matter. You can do whatever you want those three actions. And it felt relieving and very free. Like, we were doing combat, and it's like, what do you guys want to do? And we immediately were thinking of like a bunch of different things we could do because, okay, we had the paladin up front, swung twice, and then put his shield up. That's actually an action. Like you put your shield up, you get higher AC, and you get damage reduction because you're actively defending. So he's like, okay, I'm going to stand in this hall where the skeletons are coming out of to block them from swarming us and just tank it. Just stand there, stab, stab, defend. Stab, like on his turn, rotating that. So it was really awesome having these thoughts that we could do. And then I was playing an alchemist. Alchemist from first edition I love because I was creating a lot of potions that were like buffing people, and I was a high-level alchemist, so I was doing all these weird things. I was playing a level one alchemist, and it was the funnest thing I ever did. I just had – I started with a bunch of bombs. They started me with just fire bombs and acid bombs, and then there was an ability that just said, hey, you can – you have this thing called uh, these like resonance points, I think is what it was, that you spend to do various things now – a lot of people talking it's not so good because a lot of times you have to use that point to drink a potion. So you're limited to like only drink two or three potions on an adventure, which is weird. However, I can see it for the alchemist it working because for the alchemist, to, for me to make a potion, I had to spend one of those points. Without those points, I could spend like – I could just spend a turn, make a bunch of potions, and just endless healing flask and bombs. So on the fact of those points, I think it's good to keep for the alchemist but make it like alchemy points or whatever. But I digress in the sense of I would stand there and I'm like, okay, what are we looking at? What are we fighting? You know what? Let me make let me quickly make a firebomb on the spot. I'm gonna chuck it at them and then get this ready. I'm just like kinda like rotating what I'm doing, moving myself around to throw a bomb in the right place so I don't hurt anyone, and it, it felt relieving because I could do that. I could just say, make bombs, toss, here's a healing potion. Just be that utility character and not be limited to, well, you can only do make a bomb this turn, that's it. It's very fast paced in a sense. Because of the amount of things you can do. The adventure itself was your typical go kill skeletons, find their leader, and end him. But it felt different. It felt different than I've ever played before because of those actions and because of the changes and also the weapons. One of the also like epic things about combat was each weapon now actually has weapon properties beyond the standard stuff. So a lot of times, like if you ever played D&D 5th or just like the older stuff, usually weapon properties like is it one-handed, two-handed... I know finesse became a pretty big thing with like you can use your deck score instead of your strength score, and can you throw the weapon? And that was like it. But now what they're doing, it's like actual abilities. 
like I said before, when you try to attack multiple times in a turn, you get penalties. Usually it's a minus 5 to your attack, then a minus 10 to your attack for the third strike. But now weapons can be called what we call agile. If you have an agile weapon, it actually reduces that. So it's a minus 4 and minus 8 penalty instead. There's other things like that that kind of go into what weapons can do. And then it allows magic weapons to be even stronger, in a sense. So you have an agile weapon, which means you can attack and not have as biggest penalties. You know, there's other things you can get. I can't remember all the ones that we had in that game because we had a bunch of different characters playing, but it allows just the basic weapons to be more utility and make you think more about, do I want a sword or do I want an axe? Because usually there's, like, very little difference, but I have to think about it because of the options it gives you. And then magic weapons are actually stronger. So the one guy was a paladin who was able to bless his weapon, and then the next attack he made that turn was buffed. And it was only the first swing. So if he did, like, blessing two swings, the first swing got the bonus only. But that bonus ended up being, like, oh, my God, what was it? Uh, I think it was a plus one to attack and then, like, an additional damage die. So if he rolled a D8 damage and said it was a 2-8 damage, D8 damage, plus one damage on top of that or something like that. So magic all of a sudden is... It was big before, but now it's even bigger. Like, a simple blessing or a simple enchantment that you can do in the field in a dungeon isn't just, okay, cool, I get plus one to attack. It's like, no, I'm going to cut your fucking head off because I have this big buff. Of course, enemies now hit harder, too. Like, we were all hitting with, like, a plus four to our attack. The fucking goblins we were taking on were doing plus six for their attack. So it's a little bit harder, but, hey, you get a lot more options and a lot cooler things to do as a character. And last thing to note which is another change that I love. I'm just going over these changes that are awesome. The crit rule changed. It's still your standard crit rule of one's an automatic failure, 20 is an automatic success. That's a staple. It'll always be that way. But they added another layer to it. So let's say you're fighting like a weak creature. That's a low AC. A crit's, a, you know, a natural 20 is a crit. The chances are low for that. However, if you find this low AC creature, because he's pretty weak, like he has, what, AC 8 or whatever, if you roll at least 10 higher, it counts as a crit. So let's use our... our actually, I'll, I even go to the uh, ooze we fought. We fought some black pudding, I think it was. It had an AC 4. We crit that thing so often, because as long as we rolled a 14 or higher, it was considered a crit because it was 10 greater than its AC. Now, the damn thing had, like, damage reduction and a lot of hit points, so it still took some time to take it down. However, it was awesome, the idea, like, we can actually crit things now. Besides just, like, that nat 20. The nat 20 still feels great, because it doesn't matter. Like, if you have AC 18, I'm still critting you. It doesn't matter. But it felt good that we had that opportunity, like, we can open up our options more. And, of course, on the flip side, if you have 10 or less than their AC, it's considered a critical failure, like an automatic failure, essentially. So the DM can kind of, like, play with that if they want to. That more involves, like, skill checks. You know, if you fail a skill check, it's whatever. But if you fail it by 10 or more, so like it's a DC 15, and you only rolled, like, let's say a 4, you're really screwed. Like, there's additional kind of, like, penalties that go into what can happen if you roll that bad. So these are all things they're looking at with Pathfinder now. Now, I've been playing D&D for a while. I played a little bit of a Path... Not a little bit. I played about a year of a Pathfinder campaign when I was in college with some friends. And it was great. We had a fun time. But I'm really thinking of like taking my D&D 5th edition campaigns I'm running, and by the time Pathfinder Edition 2 comes out, transfer it over to that. There'll be some things i got to like kind of like work out some kinks and stuff like that, obviously, from changing series. But I think it's going to be great. So if you're into any sort of like 
tabletop RPG stuff like D&D and the like, definitely check out what Pathfinder has coming out for second edition. Again, I'm going to see if I can find like the online PDF that I heard rumors about and definitely post a link so people can check it out. So that was pretty much what I spent my time at Long Island doing was playing Pathfinder, looking at some merchandise. And then I played the Pathfinder card game. Uh, eh? It was very clunky. There's a lot of setting up to do because every class has to have their own deck. And then there's this. And that. So it was very clunky, in my opinion. It was fun because it was cooperative. So it was really like working together with each other. But instead of like going through a dungeon, there's different zones you had to hit to find like the final guy and like arrest him or whatever that was eventually we were doing. So there was some cooperation and we were also able to like kind of split up, but it also felt kind of separated then because I was playing a bard and the bard's like, Hey, buff people that's in the same zone as you, but we need to spread out to cover more zones so we can find this guy before time's up. So I was very conflicted. Like, what am I going to do here? Cause I can't fight well in combat, but I need to leave others. I need to go off on my own so we can cover enough zones. So it was, it was weird. I don't know. I recommend still looking at it. If you like card games, just take a look through it. Watch some videos, see what you think about it. But I'm not going to comment much more on it because I don't have much more to say beyond it. I kind of did it at the end of the day, and then I had to run out to catch my train so I would get home in time so I can then go to NYC Plays on Sunday, which is a perfect transition into all the glory that happened there. So walk into the Manhattan Center, which is a kind of like I think it's a music venue or like a theater. First floor, covered in booths with games. Then there's the balcony that overlooks it, like on the second floor. They somehow managed to fit, like, another, oh my god, how many, like, 30 or something games that were, like, PC, Xbox, stuff like that, hooked up to TVs, just lining the balcony. So there's just stuff everywhere. And then they had the basement, had some extra games down there also. Now, first off, anyone likes Just Cause, apparently Just Cause 4 is a thing that's coming out, and they actually had a playable demo there. I did not play it. But that is a thing if you like Just Cause, so look out for that if you have yet to hear about it. Everything else, though, from what I saw was Indie Studios, which I love if you don't know that. I do love Indie Studios. I have nothing against AAA games and big league stuff. I like exploring what Indie Studios have. They're a little cheaper, which when I'm on a budget, because I am, it helps out. And also, Indie, I feel a lot of times, just explores weird things that others might not look into because... They're just trying to express themselves. They're like a small team of like two or three people, and that's it. So they're not worried about like publishers wanting something this way or this guy wanting it this way or the higher-ups wanting it this way. It's just, hey, it's our little crew doing a thing. So I'm going to go through the stack here. And I went on. I already have all the links open. I'm dropping a link to every single one of the websites for these games right into the description. So you can just, boom, hop right over and check it out if you want. Read their blog, sign up for newsletters, and whatever you want to do. So I'm going to start, and then at the end, I'm going to talk about the two that I love the most, and I can't pick one better. So let's just jump right into this. One of the first games I had a chance to play was a game called From Rust. It's a very interesting concept that I'm looking forward to in the future. Now, when I played, they had a short little demo available, almost like a proof of concept. Like, the mechanics worked. You can see how the game's going to be played and everything, but it just had up to, like, the one boss, and then that was it. It didn't go any further, which is totally fine. The way from Rust works, essentially, it's you're a scavenger going through the wasteland, collecting scrap and supplies to survive. It, it's a very simple, straightforward premise. The way it works, though, is you will pick, there'll be, like, let's say four routes you can go on. You pick a route, and when you're exploring that route, the way exploration works is you're actually 
pulling cards from the top of a deck. And whatever card flips over is what you get. So if you flip over a scrap card, cool, scrap, I can bring that home. If you flip over a grenade, like an, a weapon, cool, I now have a weapon I can put on my character. If you flip over an enemy, okay, now I gotta fight the enemy. And what it works is your character on that's exploring has a fight stat plus any like equipment or anything they might have or items they're using. And you roll that many die, and the die have three sides. It's like a, it's a D6, and there's like duplicates or something like that. I'm not sure how they how they're gonna work it out. It's gonna change, but essentially there's three options on the die. You can get a blank, one gear, two gears, which is one point of two damage. Cool. If the enemy lives, they then hit you. You get take damage, and you get up to like three points of damage before you die. That's that, and that's how your exploration works. And you flip a number of cards equal to your character's speed stat. So they have like, if they have a speed set of four, you flip four cards over. And if you get into combat, your exploration's automatically over. Now here's a layer that another layer that I kind of like to it. That's just talking about you yourself, your character. And they do have kind of this interesting thing they're going for to make a single player campaign. However, the real kick is that it's going to be multiplayer. That's a big push. So I was saying that you pick where you go. Well, it's you're picking where you go because you are working together with three other people online going throughout these wastes. So it's a cooperative game where each of you is tasked with doing something. Now, you can go on the same route with someone else. So if there's four options, you can party up with somebody and potentially your character might get buffs from being with someone else or get debuffs when partnering up with other people. So you suck talking with the individual, like, okay, who wants to go on this route? Is it okay if I come with this person? Does someone need this equipment? So there is some resource management of, like, creating gear and everything at base. Then there's that extra layer of communicating with each other so you cover enough ground to collect resources to continue surviving and getting the most bang for your buck. Because if you have a character who's, like, a scout that is very fast and do a lot of exploration... You might want to partner up with somebody so she doesn't die right away. However, partnering up with a slower character means she'll explore less because she has to go to the speed the slower guy's at. So here's all the discussions you have to have with these other people that you're playing with. It's a really cool co-op concept. Um, can't wait to see what they're they're going to do with it. But it, I like I like where they're going with it so far. Uh, moving on, the next one. This is actually the first the first game I played, and it's just hilarious in all the right ways. It's called Boom, You Win. Premise is the most simple thing you can ever imagine. You're playing essentially hot potato with a bomb. So you'll start the match up to four people can play, and it's local, so you can do couch play or internet play. It's amazing. The ball is thrown out onto the field. You pick the ball up, and as long as you hold the ball, you get points. So if you ever played like, hey, uh, sorry, like Halo modes, like King of the Hill. Or I know they've done certain things with, like, Juggernaut, where you get points the longer you're on the point or holding the item or you're the Juggernaut or whatever, you get points. Think of it like that. However, the bomb, it's a bomb. It's ticking down. Now, there's multiple layers to, like, there's multiple timers. So there's the bomb timer, and then there's the match timer. So when the bomb timer runs out, it obviously explodes, and then a new bomb is put into play, and this, it keeps going until time runs out for the match. Now, when the bomb explodes, anyone caught in the explosion, which takes up a good, like, one-third of the screen, it's a, it's a pretty big explosion, that person's taken out, and they lose points. Now, they do respawn, so they're not out of the game, but they lose a sizable amount of points. So you're, you know, you're playing this very, very dangerous game of Hot Potato, and keep away is like, I want to keep the ball to get points. And now, the opponents can slide into you or use a special attack to knock it out of your hands to grab it from you. 
So I'm trying to dodge them, but I got to wait. As soon as I see that bomb about to explode, I got to throw it. So you actually have the option to chuck it. And I was playing with the uh, one of the devs. He was showing to me, so it was a one-on-one between him and me. He did this really dirty thing at the start that I started to do against him. He had the ball, and as soon as it started taking it, he just turned around and chucked it at my face. It's like, hey, it's about to explode, so I might as well try to hit you with the damn thing so you lose points. It, until the very end, we kept dodging the explosions until the very end, but it's a really cool concept of keep away. And the matches are quick because of that. Like, they're very intense, very short timer on a match, so it's just constant replayability. And there's multiple maps, there's multiple characters that each have their own special abilities, so lots of options going into it. I think it's fun. It, it For me, it's kind of going back to the olden days of like Super Smash Brothers on the N64 and Mario Kart and stuff like that, like those old couch multiplayer games that you play a match real quick and you just keep going. It harkens back to that for me. So I'm loving it. I'm looking forward to it. I'm definitely following them. And as soon as I see any information about them on Steam, I am jumping on that shit and purchasing it. It's, it's an intense game. It's going to be really fun. Uh, next, let's take a look at... Okay, this one was a weird one. In a good way. I didn't have a chance to talk to anyone. I don't know if like the devs are busy elsewhere or whatnot, but I didn't have a chance to talk to anyone about this game. But I did just sit down and play it a little bit. It's called Exposure, a Game of Camouflage. Now, if you're going to look at it on Steam, because you're a PC person, I do want to note that the title is Exposure in all caps, and that's it. There was this other game I found called Exposure, which is some like horror game. You want to do exposure all caps. It doesn't have its price tag yet because it's still in development, as is with most of this game. One of them it isn't. So exposure. I I loved what I was looking at for this game. So you're playing as this little ball type creature. Now, it's very artistic. There's a lot of like changing color backgrounds and stuff like that. I just want to put out first. So you're this little like weird blobbish circular creature hovering over this you know, this 2D space of all these changing colors, and it's really imaginative and beautiful and stuff like that. And you're trying to collect these little, like, eggs that float up and down the screen. And when you collect an egg, it gives you, like, you know, a little baby kind of, like, pops out, and it follows behind you and everything. And you're just trying to collect as many as you can as you traverse the level. Now, it's just, you go from point A to point B, you're just kind of traveling, and there's no real level transition. You just kind of move into the next level without really knowing. Like, I got to level three, didn't even know it. It just happens naturally. So that's really fun that there's no breaks between levels. Now, here's where the whole exposure part comes in with the whole game of camouflage. You're this little blob thing, and there are these creatures and other, like, there's just, like, these things that come across the screen that are red. And if a red thing touches you or one of the little, like, kitties, you die. I don't know, like, I think you have a certain amount of lives, but, like, the little babies that you hatch can get killed if they're touched. So you got to try and keep them close and away from these red things. And most of those things that are trying to kill you are faster than you. The way you dodge around them is blending in and camouflaging with the background. So there are things that will come across the screen that are either red or black. Everything else will be like different colors, like very vibrant colors, you know, like purples, pinks, greens, yellows, things that really pop out. So you know you can't hide there. That's like the background, but the foreground's covered with these white and black strips, blocks, diamonds, various shapes. Now, if you're white, if your blob is white and you touch a white shape, you are now camouflaged. I don't know if they're going to change this in the future, but I know these maps are like, you're fully camouflaged. Like, you can't even see yourself as the player. There's no indication to you as a player where you're exactly you're hiding. You're going to have to, like, remember and move with the motion of the shape as it goes across the screen to stay hidden. And once you hide, the whatever is on the screen that might want to harm you just kind of either wanders off or just kind of sits in place. It just kind of stops caring because it can't see you. 
as soon as you leave, they can pick up your scent. So there's white and black. So we start white, and if you hit A, you then switch to a black color. So you can kind of do like this leapfrogging. Like the one level, I think it, I think it was level three, near the end of the level three is when I died. So I want to say it was level three. There were these strips. So there was like a diagonal white strip, a diagonal black strip that kind of like crossed at the top. And at the bottom of the screen, the black strip then touched base with a white strip. And there was this almost bird-like creature, I'll describe it, that was zipping across the screen really fast. I could never outrun it. And I didn't want it to hit me. So what I did is I was, I'd be white and I'd kind of like go diagonally down across the screen on the strip. And as soon as we reached bottom, hit A, switch to black, and then ride the black bar up to the top and just bop back and forth, back and forth. So there's a lot of reaction you have to do and watch, okay, what path can I take? Because I still want to collect those eggs to get the points and hatch the little babies, but I don't want to expose myself too long. And if like it's on the bottom of the screen and the only shape I see is at the top of the screen, is it safe enough to run down the screen, grab it in time, and then camouflage back up to the top of the screen? Or is there a line of shapes that I can kind of leapfrog between hot changing colors to blend into the background? So it was really, it was just fun. I just had a kind of like a lot of fun just sitting and enjoying it. Like it's very vibrant and everything. It's a very simple concept. So I quickly picked up what I had to do in the game and just said, screw it, let's just go. You know, simple controls and everything, which is nice. It's nothing complex about it. So check it out. Kind of keep an eye on it. It might be for you. Where am I going next? So that was three. We have four more to go. So the next one, The Last Hex. Now, a while ago, I did talk about a game called Slay the Spire, okay, which is like a, a card game, in a sense, roguelike, where you make a deck of abilities by collecting cards and fighting monsters. So The Last Hex takes that premise, and when I was playing, I looked at one of the devs, I'm like, "Might see if Slay the Spire. He's like, yeah, we really like that game. So I think they took some inspiration from it, but then they modified it a little further. So in the last hex, you beat monsters, you get, a, you get cards, you know, to build up your deck. Now, there, currently, there are three classes, and I was able to play, I just played one of them, I didn't want to, like, I wanted to check the other things out, so I didn't try all three classes, but it's the standard thing of warrior, assassin, wizard. All your starting classes, and each class actually has various stats. So there's a there's a strength stat, I think it was arcana and expertise stat. And obviously each class is better with various skills. Like warrior's best strength, assassin slash thief is the best with expertise, and wizard arcana, obviously. Those stats then modify the cards. So there are cards that I saw, like there was this one card that said heal two damage and then heal two every turn for zero turns. And I'm sitting there, I'm like the hell's the point of this card? It says zero turns. And I kind of looked at the dev. He's like, ah, yes. He, if you look at that, and on the side of the card, it showed symbols. It's like, this card is focused on the arcana stat. He's like, what's your arcana? Oh, it's zero. That explains it. So the amount of turns the card last was based on my arcana skill. So the cards go a little further than just being like a straight like damage card or whatever. It's then modified based on your skills. And there's no like class restriction. So any class can get any card they want it doesn't matter you just gotta be lucky to pick it up from there they also have equipment so you start with you know your basic three equipment slots head you know like body and then a trinket of sorts you start in like you have a the trinket you get of course helps out the specific class you're playing and then the armor is just it doesn't do anything it's just there for looks essentially as you explore you can get equipment to then modify your stats even further and then they have, like, inns that you can visit. In the inn, you can pen, spend gold to fully heal or half heal. You can spend gold to get more cards. Or you can spend gold to get more equipment to then modify your equipment that you have. So there's a lot of cool extra layers 
that kind of go into it. And that's just like kind of the overview of just how your character works. Of course, combat, like I said, it's just like if you ever played Slay the Spire or any of like all of those t- kind of like combat card games, you have X amount of energy, you know, two or three energy or whatever. You play cards on your turn, passes to the opponent, they play one card, you know, it's like the top card of their deck, pass back to you, so on and so forth. And right now it's just like 1v1s in a sense where you fight just one monster. I didn't get far enough. I got murdered by a werewolf, which is the first mini boss that I fought. Scary beast. I didn't see, like, if there's fighting more than one creature at a time. But again, it's still in development, so maybe they come out with something further. And on that note about the mini-boss, the werewolf, it was my own stupid fault for fighting it. The reason why I'm guessing it's called the last hex is the map you look at is a hex system. And what you do is you choose where to move. So up ahead, you can see that there's an ocean, which you can just go through without a problem, which is nice. You can see there's a mountain or a city or a village, and you can kind of guess what might happen. So, like, if I go into a village, there's a chance... There's a pretty good chance that either I'll find an inn to rest at, or there'll be a random event that happens that I have to deal with. If I go into the ocean, nine times out of ten, it's probably a monster. And then you'll see flags. So other than the conveniently called last hex, where like the final boss is, in a sense, for that journey, all the other bosses, like the mini-bosses, have these little flags planted across the ground. You can completely avoid them. You never have to fight a single boss until the very end when you reach the other side of the map. And what's cool is, like, let's say you want to prepare a little bit. You can revisit hexes you just want to. Like, there's no limit to your moves or there's no, like, limit to, like, the overall game, like a time limit as it is right now. So you can keep revisiting tiles and looping back. So, like, let's say there's a, you see a mini boss. Like, I kind of want to fight them because they give me a lot of gold. They give me a lot of equipment. They give me a lot of ability cards. Like, there's a lot of loot you can get from them. But I don't think I'm strong enough yet. Let me just kind of, like, circle this area, like, the level one area that I'm at. Just kind of, like, circle a little bit to fight a couple monsters to kind of get some gold and get some better gear. And then I'll fight them. I like that choice. It's so... There's a little bit of exploration and map, you know, map management going on there of where you want to go. And then, of course, your deck management. Is my deck too big? Is it too small? Do I have the right cards? Do I have enough block? Do I have enough attack? All that kind of stuff kind of goes in. And then, of course, it's, you know, it's roguelike in that sense. It's... If you beat it, you beat it, yay, now you can play again, it looks completely different, like the map's always changing. So if you die, screw it, start again, and just redo it. So there's a lot of replayability there, because it's not just a lengthy, you know, 10-hour campaign on this hex map, it's, I don't know, probably... Guessing on how fast I was moving, and the fact that I had to look everything over, as you become more well-versed in the game and knowing what's going on, I don't know, maybe 30, 30 to 40 minutes for a sizable run without, like, doing any speed run stuff, just, like, a, a standard just kind of playthrough? Maybe. That's just a rough estimation. But, you know, you get a, you get a lot of replayability there. So check it out. The Last Hex. Neat stuff if you're looking at, like, card-based deck-building games, stuff like that. It was neat. Fun to play. All right, the next one I got here on deck, I actually didn't get a chance to play, which I'm totally fine with because of the way the game is set up. Uh, I'll get to that in a minute. But I did have a nice little chat with the dev there about the game. And this one is called Perception. Now, I want to give a little more details on this. What the developer was doing, he was actually showing off two games. So Perception is a game that the company has already made. And they are currently in works of another game. So they were just like doing a really, really small tease of that second game that they had going on in production. So I want to talk about both these games. First is Perception. I want to talk about that first. So this is their already released game. Another really cool concept behind it. Now, I'm a fan of atmospheric games. 
games that really kind of pull you into the world. You know, I talked about Hellblade Senua's Sacrifice before. Those kind of games, those horror games, the psychological games that they aren't jump scary. They build up the suspense of what's going on around you to this horrifying experience. Maybe they get you with a jump scare at one point, so like since everything's building up. Maybe not. Like You're not sure, and that's why it's horrific. You don't know exactly what's going on. What Perception does, and I was watching some gameplay of it while I was talking to the dev, one of the, one of the guys from the company. I think he was one of the developers. I can't say for sure. But he was from the company. He knows the game very well. You are a blind woman who, for whatever means, for the purpose of the game, you know, she has like kind of like an echolocation so she can like tap on furniture or something nearby to send out sound waves so she can see where she's going. Essentially, you're just exploring the house. And I was asking, okay, so what's, you know, what's the purpose? I see this, so I'm curious why, you know, why I'm exploring this house. He says, well, they're like nightmares you're having. And the house seems alive, like it's haunted. It's talking to you in these nightmares, trying to find answers. So you're exploring the house to find answers, have visions, stuff like that. You know, all these cool little things that go into like what's going on. So there's that mystery, air of mystery around. And then the kicker is, like I said, you have that echolocation whenever you tap. Well, up somewhere, there's a nasty monster. Not sure what it is. I didn't see it. But there's something out there in the house stalking you that wants to kill you. And, of course, if you're making sound, it can come find you. You can hide. I saw, like, you can hide underneath beds and stuff like that. So think of, like, Alien Isolation that came out uh, not too long ago. where It was, like, really revolutionary where... You had the mic set up, and the alien could hear you breathing in, you know, in real life, and it transferred into the game. So think of it like that. It's you're making sound willingly in game, like you, because you have to hit things to see where you're going. But the more sounds you make, the more odds of the creature finding you. And you can try and hide if you know the beds in the room. But if to find out what room you're in, you either have to have a really good memory, or you have to give a knock on the door and risk having the thing find you faster. So I like. I'm looking into it. I got it on my Steam wish list. It's 20 bucks right now because it's been out for a little bit. I'm going to look into it later and pick it up. So I really like what they had going on there. The second game that the same group had was called Dark Web. I have very little information on this because they did a beautiful job teasing it. The idea behind Dark Web is it's an episodic thing. So, like, they'll be they'll release like episodes over time, and then of course each episode is its own standalone horror experience. Like, there's a psychological horror element there that goes on in between each episode. So, I don't know if at the end there's going to be an overarching tie between all the episodes. So, like, they all relate to each other this way, kind of like American Horror Story, where they had some character crossovers. I don't know if they plan on doing that for Dark Web or it's just simple episodic things i'm not sure he didn't give me much detail beyond just the episodic experience however what i really liked is again since it is like kind of a psychological atmospheric game it's heavy on the audio so what they did is at nyc plays they had a laptop set up with an audio recording from three different episodes that they're currently working on and what they did is you sat down you listened to these audio recordings which were like you know two minutes long maybe at most just kind of give you a little bit of an experience of what was going on. And then you had a title and a short one-sentence description of the episode. So you listened to all three recordings, and then you got to pick which one you liked. So essentially, they were taking community input from the conventions to decide, okay, which one do we want to release first? You know, which one are we going to put the most effort into right now to get it released first? And then work on the others. 
So I'm really looking forward to that. If you are really into that psychology stuff, like psychological horror, experiences, atmospheric gaming, stuff to really just get under your skin, check out Perception and keep your eye on Dark Web as it's going through development. The uh, group that's making it, the company, is The Deep End Games. So I'm just gonna have a I'm gonna have a link just to their website, which of course has Perception and Dark Web both there for you to check out both of them respectively. It's awesome stuff. Now, still talking about the mind, but going from a less horrific moment to a more relaxing moment was this very interestingly named game. And give me a minute to try and explain how the name works, okay? Zero degrees north, zero degrees west, and it's written as if like you're looking at a map. So it's zero with that little like superscript circle to represent degrees n then zero superscript you know w so zero degrees north zero degrees west it's written that way on steam so you're trying to find this game i recommend going to their website first going through that to find it because i i don't know how to do it i don't think i can do it on my you know laptop but trying to do a degree symbol that superscript i'm not sure how to do it so their website is just zero north zero west the link will i'll have the link ready for you this game is a whole different experience. I was listening to an interview a little bit that the, the developer's having with somebody, and I played a bit of the game myself. It's meant to be just kind of a relaxing, dreamscape sort of game, where all you do is you move, you can run, and you can jump. That's all you can do in the world to interact. Just move about the world. And you go through these dream settings like the first dream that i walked into was very blurry and i saw in the distance what looked like a giant moon and i'm like i'm just gonna walk towards that moon i don't know where else to go. i'm just gonna walk towards that moon so i left this building that i started in and i was walking around like different shapes started popping up and like there was these white chunks sticking out of the ground that i realized i could climb on but then any other shapes like the blues and everything around i couldn't like there was no collision i just went right through them so eventually I started to reach this point where there were like these platforms, these very thin blue platforms scattered about. Not, not like really steps, but imagine like a wall was kind of shattered and all the pieces were turned horizontally, just sprinkled across the sky, like almost blocking my view of the moon. And I just kept moving and I'm trying to describe as best I can because of what was just, what was I seeing? And as I continued to explore, I eventually came up on this coast and I'm like, okay, I just started walking to the water because what the dev told me was the entire idea is you, it's all about just going from one dream to the next. So I'm like, I wonder what's going to happen if I just walk to the wall. So I caught, I start to walk down to the water. At least I think it was water. Can't really tell. And then the screen goes bright white. And then I hit this weird sense of like, I can't even explain it. It was some sort of transition. Can't really explain what it looked like. And then I was immediately into a different location. I was in a different building. And when I left the building, I noticed at the top of this spiral staircase that wasn't enclosed. It was just these, like suspended like planks and I got down to the bottom of them and I, it it didn't look this way at all but it just gave me the feeling of almost like a futuristic cyberpunk city that I was in and I started exploring that that's what this game is it's just so much to explore and going on and the way it works at least at the beginning there are so many options so the way I selected the first dream was completely by accident I was in a hallway you start in this hallway black background Excuse me, black background, black everything. And then on both sides flank you, rows of doors that are open with a white light. And I don't know how far the row goes, but it goes like 
just doors going on and on and on and on and on. So I'm like, screw it. I just jump into this one door, not knowing what's going to leave because all the doors look the same. So I jump into this door, and I go back to another row of doors. I think it was like back to pretty much where I already was, but coming out of a door instead of just spawning in. And I'm sitting there. I'm like, was this supposed to happen? So I just ran across this black hallway into the door across from me, and it tra- transformed me again into another black room. But then there was three doors, a door glowing red, blue, and green. And I picked the red door, and that led me to like that weird blurry skate, like, landscape with the giant moon and everything and that's how it kind of like works to get into the first dream in a sense it's just pick doors see where it leads you and go from there and because of how many i i can't remember the number he gave me of like dreams that there are that are available but with the amount of doors that there are it could take you a long time to really experience what every dream is I was on a timer, but the timer wasn't displayed. It just let you play the... Like, you were just playing, and eventually the timer was up, and you were cut. When it ended, I sat there for a moment. And then I took my headphones off, and I kind of, like, shook for a minute. He's like, you were right? I'm like, yeah, I just forgot how loud it was in this room. Because he was, like, in the main area. It's like, I was just so engrossed in what was happening and what I was seeing. that I totally forgot. Like, I'm in this very loud convention. It's such a great experience, and I had not even fun. Like, I just enjoyed it. You know whenever, like, you read a good book, good book, sorry, like a good book, or you're just having, like, this wonderful time, and just everything around you just kind of, like, stops mattering, and you kind of just forget about the world around you, and you're just engrossed in whatever it is you're doing, whether you're, like, you're with a bunch of friends, you're with someone you love, you're just caught up by yourself in whatever you're reading or whatever you're seeing before you. And you feel great. And for that moment, nothing else kind of matters. In a way, that's the feeling I had playing this. So like I said, it wasn't that I was having a lot of fun. I was just enjoying what I saw. I just felt relaxed and at ease with what was happening around me in this game. And I mean, I keep calling it a game. It's really just it's an experience. Like, there's no objective. It's just exploring. And if you get from one dream to the next, you explore the next dream. And just keep going for as far as you want. I love it. And this game is actually out right now. I looked it up on Steam. All right. And is it, uh, I'm going to double check right now. It should just be for per- still, it. I'm getting, like, just lost in what I was seeing. But yeah, it's, uh, it's available right now. Let me actually pull it up on my screen so I can give you full details because I loved it. Yeah, actually, currently on the time this episode goes up, it's on sale 30% off for $7 on Steam until August 22nd. All right. So if kind of my soothing voice and getting lost in what I was experiencing captivates you, check it out. Uh, just a heads up for anyone who might have, you know, sensory issues like, bright lights and stuff like that it can be a sensory overload so just be warned with that for like medical issues that's all i want to let you know but you know watch the trailers before picking it up to make sure like it won't give you any issues because it can get really intense but it doesn't take away from the game like if you have no medical issues don't let that dissuade you like it won't it adds to the experience all right check it out definitely definitely check it out All right, now, we are reaching the end, the last two games I have to talk about. Now, these two are a tie for 
best games that I played, like, at the convention. That's not to say the other games were bad. That's not to say that I was putting them, like, in order. The rest of the games, were just, they were all great in their own ways, and I loved the time I had talking with the people who made the game or had something to do with the games and the time I had playing them. The next two games that I'm going to talk about, one of them I already backed on Kickstarter, and the other one I'm really, really going to push try and get onto the beta because I played like three rounds of it and had some of the best time of my life. So the first one, and these are the two games I mentioned in the update I posted uh, yesterday on Sunday. So the first game here, Hero Tales of the Tomes, and the website's just talesofthetomes.com, so I don't know if like Hero's in the official title or not. Anyway, Tales of the Tomes, let's call it that, is a very interesting competitive card game. Everyone has their hero that they're playing, and each hero has... Well, I'll get into that later, what the heroes have, but just everyone has their own hero. And essentially, it's a competition of last man standing. Who can be the last hero standing in this competition? So you're just fighting each other, all right? Now, most games like this, competitive games in general, you know, like Magic, Yu-Gi-Oh!, Netrunner, you know, the list goes on. You have your deck that you make, that you bring to the game to represent you to combat others. Well, this game, what the guy decided to do, and this is one guy, by the way. This is one guy made all of this. Brilliant man. It's one whole deck in the sense that when you buy Tales of the Tomes, you're given the five uh, heroes he has had created so far. He's looking at more from what he told me. The five heroes he's made so far, and this big deck... Everyone plays off of that deck. So you shuffle the deck, you stick it in the middle, and everyone draws in the same deck. So as much as each class has its specialties, and I'll get into that in a minute, each class has like a specialty of what it can use, you're not making a deck just for you. You have to work with what you get that everyone's trying to fight for the same resources. So in a sense, card drawing, you know, for anyone who's played card games can tell you, card drawing is an important resource. If you can draw more cards in your turn, that means you have more things to use against your opponents on that turn and successive turns. Well, in Tales of the Tomes, it's even more important because the more deck draw you have, the less cards that your opponents can get because they're trying to pull from the same deck. And actually, I lucked out, and my opponent had much better card drawing than me. She actually had an ability that said, I spend mana, draw a card, and she could just use it whenever. I lucked out that I beat her to get these two small cards that said destroy equipment because the one hero I had was all about equipment cards, and if she pulled those two spell cards, my game would have been over much sooner. I like that sense of con- like controlling of the deck that goes into this. And then on top of that, there's some other things. So there's a side deck. So usually if it says, you have a card that says, search the deck for an equipment card, for example, you have to go through the damn deck to find it. What you have instead is a side deck. Now, if ever you have a card or ability that says, look for a equipment card or look for a legendary creature card. All of those are put into a side deck. So instead of you going through the massive deck to look for it, you pull the side deck over to you, look at the two or three cards that are meant for that ability or whatever that you're using and take it, put the side deck, side deck back to the side. So you don't have to shuffle the side deck or anything. And it helps you just speed through the game and you just know, boom, go get this, boom, go get this. Real quick rotation, and then also what it allows you to do is for some of the more legendary things that you can get, like legendary companions and legendary uh, equipment cards, if they're destroyed, they don't have to get shuffled back in. They just go back to the side deck. So it's just a lot of rotation going in and out of that side deck, which is kind of cool. And the last thing that they had 
deck-wise at least, were quest cards. So there was like five quests that get shuffled into the main deck, and then me and my opponent never had a chance to use it. The game was over before we reached our first quest, but if the quest card is flipped, it's like some special event that's happening. So one of them was really cool. It's called Test of Patience, and it said whenever a hero heals, remove them from the quest. If you are the last hero, you heal 10 HP plus there is some modifier to it on top of that. And I like that. Like, the quest is just like a side game that happens during the main game. One of them actually unleashes a dragon that attacks everyone every turn. So it has a total of, like, 35 health, which is as much as the rest of the heroes, and it just attacks everybody. So it's like, okay, do I still try and kill my uh, enemy over there so I can win, or should we take care of the dragon? So suddenly there's, like, a, a wrench thrown in there. That's what the quests do, so that's really fun. Didn't have a chance to mess with it, though, which is fine, because I had enough fun with everything else going on. So then the, the rest of the core mechanics, the way the heroes work and everything... Each hero has three stats. Four stats, technically, if you include health. But the other three stats is attack, mana, armor. Obviously, attack is your hero can attack once on, its t- on your turn. That's how much damage it does. Mana is mana you use to place spells. And then armor is just you regenerate armor and mana at the start of your turn. And armor is damage reduction. Now, there's two types of damage. Physical, magic. Obviously, armor blocks physical. But if it's magic damage, doesn't matter. It goes through armor and ignores armor. So there's that really cool concept of, like, warriors fighting mages you have to worry about. But, of course, mages are glass cannons, so they have low armor and sometimes low health. So the warrior can just walk up and punch them. Like, the warrior I was playing, I just I was stacking equipment, which just gave me more damage. I was just wailing on the, the enemy mage. Off of that, the heroes level up. So every time a full turn goes around, so it goes back to, like, the first player, everyone levels up. And when you level up, one or two things happen. Either your stats go up, which is indicated on your stat card, or you get a new ability. So level 2, you get the same ability every game. It's printed right on the character card. But then levels, the next levels, which is then 4, 6, and 8, 8 being the max level, you get to choose one of two cards. So you, like, you pick up this little card that has the level at the top, and you choose whether the front or the back side, and it gives you another ability or passive buff or something like that that adds to your character. So as the game goes on, you get more options. And of course, level 8 stuff is just insane. My opponent had an ability when we hit level 8 that said, hey, I summon this 15 attack, 15 health companion from the side deck into play. You can't target it with abilities, which sucked. And if it dies, it goes back into the side deck so I can resummon it next turn. It's like, by level 8, it's off the chains. It it does not matter. Whoever, Whoever hits first wins, essentially, at that point. It's insane. So I love the pacing of that and the way the the, the table works, you have your hero, and then you get, I keep mentioning, companions. So besides equipment and spell cards you can play, you can play companions. And companions are, have their own attack, their own health, and they have most of them have like some sort of ability. You can use them with your hero to attack other people, at, and it's all at the same time. So like your hero can attack every turn. As soon as you play a creature, unless it says otherwise, it can attack the same turn. And then after attacking, your creature, your companion, can then go into defense. It doesn't have to. But if it does, you pick, you have your hero, it goes into defense to protect your hero, and that says either you have to kill this creature before you hit my hero, or you can attack my hero directly, and it reduces damage based on however much health I have on my defenders. And it's a, it's a constant. It's like, if a creature has four health, it's not deal four points of damage right there to kill it. It's over time, it takes four damage. It's like, if you do one damage now, then two damage next turn, over two turns, it has lost three health, it's down to one health. So it's cumulative. Same thing with the heroes. It's just... It piles on over time. It's a free-for-all game, up to five players, but if you do 1v1, what the guy did to make it really interesting, and this is what I got to sample, 
if it's a 1v1, you both pick two heroes. So there's a lo- extra level of tactics and gameplay that goes in there where you're in control of two people against two people, but it's like a, it's a one-on-one so that other two heroes are working together, essentially. They're, they have their own health pool, but they play from the same hand. So you don't draw extra cards. You still draw only one card a turn. But then when you play companions, they can block either this hero or the other hero. If you play a general card, like I played one card that essentially had like uh, lifelink from magic, where if he dealt damage, my hero healed that much health, but I had to pick which hero it went to. So there's an extra layer of strategy going on. And I had a really cool, I lost. I ended up losing because the card I had that I needed to play to win, I had to wait until my turn. So I got screwed. I ended up losing barely. But the team I had going, which was really cool, was a warrior that just stacked up a lot of armor. And then after I had a lot, the ability I picked said, I can just take cards in my hand and play some face downs equipment cards that gave me bonus attack. So I was just ramping up attack for like a big hit at the end of the game to take out my opponent while I was behind a wall of armor. The other character I had was pretty much the bringer of death, which is she only had one attack, which when your heroes have like 35 health, one attack is like nothing. But as long as she dealt combat damage, as in, like, she pokes a companion, like a minion, dies instantly. doesn't matter how much health it has. does not matter its abilities. Nothing. If she pokes it, it dies. My opponent had this 4-6 vampire that took control of my companions. I'm like, I poke it. Drops dead. I only did one point damage, but it dropped dead. So, of course, it was a target on my back. She destroyed my Mistress of Death, and then she had, like, this kind of druid person that could bring in bigger companions and a mage which was, a, like I said, glass cannon, of course, pile everything on the mage. So I ended up, we both killed one hero with ignoring the other one completely. It was kind of funny. Really cool, really fun card game. Uh, there's a lot I can expect from it. Uh, currently, the Kickstarter is up right now. However, the goal has already been met. So pretty much what it is, is if you back it on Kickstarter, it's pretty much pre-ordering the game. And the guy gave me an idea where it's going to come out. Uh, when was it? April or August. I really can't rene- remember the month. All I know is beginning with an A, but he he's giving an extra time since it's just this one guy and it's already backed. First, what he told me all he's doing is waiting is that when the Kickstarter ends, he's gonna wait for a copy to be printed and sent to him to give like the final check of everything, and then he'll put the order out so he can get you know packaged everything shipped to him and then he'll ship it out. So he's giving himself extra time on like the delivery date just in case something happens, but it's not, you know, it's just a buffer. He said himself, like, he'd rather have it get out sooner. He just is saying that just in case, so he doesn't, like, turn his back on anyone, like, oh, I said it was going to come out in February, but I have to wait two months. He's doing it just to play safe, which I think is fine. Definitely check it out if you love card games. I think it was amazing. I had a lot of fun with it. Oh, my God. <laughs> the other game, on the other hand, the, the tire for what I had the most fun with, was the game I mentioned yesterday, which I'm just going to spell it. I'm not going to try to pronounce it. I'm going to butcher it once again. It is spelled A-V-A-R-I-A-V-S. Now, if you are a fan of Final Fantasy, this game you're going to enjoy. So anyone who's played Final Fantasy, you know, those JRPG tactic games of of the style, you're used to the combat system of you have your party of three or four people, and it's, it's turn-based where it's either you choose your thing you do, you do it, and then the enemy does it, or more of like a, uh, what is it? Not real-time. I'm trying to remember exactly what the system's called, but essentially you have to wait for your gauge to fill up, and then you go. This kind of goes in the middle. What it is is you have your squad. 
you choose what to do, but there's a timer. And when the timer runs out, you better have all your choices picked, and then it executes the turn based on the speed stat of each character in your party. So like I said, there's that element of, there is like it is a 1v1 turn-based thing, but there is that clock that's ticking behind you, so you're trying to like make all your decisions before the clock runs out. And then here's the kicker. Here's the reason why there is a timer. I think this is really important why there's a timer. It's PvP. So the game is... There's a single-player game that they're also working on. Like, story stuff is in the same universe and everything. But they're putting it to the side for now just to finish this multiplayer game, which is coming out 2018, as in before January. And they have an open beta that's... They have one more beta they're doing that you can sign up for, so check it out. But it's PvP. So you take JRPG like Final Fantasy, where you have your squad, but now you're versing another squad who's another human player. So you both you have that timer that both of you are following, and then once both of you have chosen all the stuff you want to do, based on the speed of each character, everything's executed. And it happens at like the same time. It's very fluid. It's not like, this guy uses this thing. It, Boom. Okay, now you use this. It's just boom, 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 boom. Like there's very little words that says what's happening. It just happens. It's a, it's a flow. It's like actual combat's being played out. There's a flow to it as everything goes on that happens, and then boom, turns over. Okay, start again. You know, make your decisions. While this clock is ticking, by the way, while the game is going, your characters can level up. Currently, the level cap is at five. So every round, your party starts at level one, and they can reach level five. When they level up, you then choose an upgrade for one of their three standard abilities, and then there's two special abilities that they can also use, but you can't level those you choose which one to level up and you have to do that while the clock is ticking on your turn. So you got to know what you want to do and you got to be quick to read everything so you can level up, then choose the thing that your character is going to do and then move to the next character and do them and da, 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 and get everything taken care of from there with that. And I keep going back to that timer because there's so much this timer runs on as the game progresses to Keep a stalemate from it. Let's say there's two parties facing each other that focus on heals. To prevent a stalemate that would just make the game go on forever, they have Judgment, which is an awesome name. At some point, I'm not sure the limit. I watched a lot of it. I played a lot of it. I played through rounds of it, but I'm not sure the, when it kicks in. A Judgment thing happens, and at the top, a second timer is put in. So there's still a standard timer for your turn, ticking down. But then there's a Skull at the top. And the skull sits on its own timer. So every turn, the timer resets for your turn. But the skull doesn't reset. And when the skull hits zero, judgment happens. Whichever character on the field does not matter the side, whoever has the lowest health, take them out. They're done. And I love that idea of sudden death. It's not sudden death in the sense that players are just, like making decisions. It's just you got to keep your people healed while trying to fight, because Judgment's going to come down and just knock someone out, and it's just going to keep going until there's a winner. I think it's awesome. I love that concept of sudden death. They also removed some RNG. Like, obviously, there's a little bit of RNG left, and especially for the single players, you know, players out there that are using bots, there's some RNG, because it's AI. But they decided to break the fourth wall. So, if you ever played Pokemon or something like that, you know, like, confusion. You have a random chance to miss, and everyone hates that, I think, for the most part. Well, here, let's use this idea of confusion. Let's say you get confused. Like, there's a question mark above your character's health bar. It doesn't affect them. It affects you. So I saw two of them in action. One of them happened to me, and it's disgusting. The question mark, the confusion, inverts your controls. So left is right, right is left, up is down, down is up. So when you're trying to pick your ability, it's inverted. When you're trying to pick your target, it's inverted. Everything's inverted until you cure it. 
And then the other one is a dazed thing. So on top of that timer for the turn going, your dazed character, whoever is dazed, they have a second time where the screen is starting to go gray. If they don't make their choices by the time the entire screen fills up gray on their side, boom, turns up. Like, they don't go. They're dazed. The dev said there's five of them that happen. I think he said five. I only witnessed two of them, which is ugly. The last thing I want to mention about this game, because I could go on forever talking about this game. The last thing I want to mention is that as each character hits level five, they get an ultimate that gets unlocked. And they have a choice, like it'll pop up, where you hit L and R at the same time, and it fills up the little circle, and it executes your ultimate ability. But to execute it, a random, and there's a lot of them, a random minigame pops up, and you have to complete that minigame to execute the ability to its full potential. So there's things like deal massive damage to everyone on the enemy team. The one that I had because I was playing the medic team was massive heal everyone and then give everyone a five-stack buff on everything. So HP regen, damage output, defense, like five-stack buff on everything to the entire party. Boom. It's, it's a, it's a one-off thing, but it's massive. It's real. So every character is unique, and there is – I'm going to double-check to make sure I give you the right number – what do you say, 12? 16. So there are 16 different heroes with different archetypes. And what you do is the game comes, of course, pre-made with, I think, like eight teams that have their own specialty that it tells you about. Or you can do a custom team where you mix and match whoever you want. And according to what I'm looking at here, over 12,000 unique party combinations. So if you like the Mender class, but you think you need a little more DPS, you can then ta- remake a Mender in your custom team and just put a little more, like, damage in there if you want to so there's a lot of possibilities here it's kind of final fantasy like but it also has a cyberpunk futuristic essence to it so like all the uh basic starter teams which on their own are very well made they're not like basic basic they're really well made they have this thing this bot called i think his name was omega who's a little like hover drone who's amazing and he has like this defensive ability to protect his allies so combined kind of magic-esque final fantasy with futuristic cyberness it's it's just amazing. I can go on forever, but this episode is going on for quite some time because we're going over a lot, so I'm going to stop fangirling so hard about it and just give you a chance to check it out yourself. That's all I have to say about this weekend. There's so much goodness coming out in the future. I'd, I want to tell all of you, check these games out. If you have yet to go to a con, go to one. Get ready, because I think the coming months and the next year is going to be a great year for us. So thank you all for joining me. I'll see you all back Sunday at 8 p.m. with our regularly scheduled program. Take care. Join us every Sunday at 8 p.m. for a new episode of Gaming Couch. Be sure to follow us on Facebook at Gaming Couch for news and updates. And if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes, shoot us an email at gamingcouchpodcast at gmail.com.